A reading of the word uh, from the Lord. Exodus 33, chapters 12 to 23. Moses and the glory of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Thank you, Catherine. Well, it's, uh, it's good to be back together. Uh, we, if you were here last week, then you were with Ryerson United and not with us, uh, as it was a missional family Sunday for us. Um, in light of not having uh, our usual gathering, we sent out uh, a church-wide email and, and made posts on Facebook and offered a podcast this last week as sort of maybe a supplement teaching. And it was describing in a bit better detail this thing that we're just calling discipleship pathway at St. Clair. It's actually nothing new necessarily. It's just something we wanted to be able to explain in better terms. Uh, this might look familiar if you were receiving any of that. That's a, a diagram of sorts that will appear momentarily. Uh, it's pretty profound. Well, it will be profound. So we are talking about discipleship um, at St. Clair. Maybe it won't come. We'll see. Uh, we, we ask ourselves the question, uh, this is what we've sort of borrowed from someone named Dallas Willard. He would ask every church community and say, what is your plan for discipleship, and is it working? And so that's the lens that we've we kind of applied our community to say, are our efforts, are our energies, oh, there it is, in all its glory. <laughs> somehow, somehow this has become typical St. Clair style, uh, and one day we'll do much better. Um, but this, this is helping to lay out for us when we say what discipleship looks like at St. Clair. It's, it's maybe something like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. And that is to say, we commit ourselves to a way of learning the life of Jesus, and we actually have to commit 
to a way of learning it. And we need to be able to do that together and in community. And this just highlights for us different spheres, different places in which our community, this can happen. It's, it does not represent sort of a graduated level of things. The scale is actually just trying to show sort of different amounts of people that fall into different places. And we just, we've realized along the way, no one thing can be everything for all of us. We actually need the complementing pieces of many different things to help us to grow and learn together in the way of Jesus. So I just wanted to put this in front of you if you didn't already catch it this last week. Please take the time to listen or read to the stuff that was offered. The prayer groups bit is actually a new piece that come November we will give you a little bit more details on. So you can stay tuned for that. All right, we are talking the story of Moses. We've been going through the narrative of Scripture this fall. We're boldly trying to do the Old Testament in about nine weeks, uh, and might see a timeline come up there as well. Uh, this week, we are on Moses, and we actually spent our summer talking about Moses. Uh, and if you're with us some weeks and not others, uh, it was all different people from St. Clair that taught on the life of Moses. And we had some excellent people preach on Moses this summer. So uh, it is worth going back to and listening and sort of filling in the gaps on his life. What we want to do today is highlight for us why is Moses important in the bigger story of what God is doing? Because we want to be reminding ourselves who God has been for his people so that teaches us who God is for us here and now. Moses is a big, big deal in Scripture. He's referenced more than any other person in the New Testament, even though he was an Old Testament guy. Over 78 times, Moses is talked about by Jesus and others because he's the guy that represents the law. And the law is the expression, it is the representation of this thing called covenant. And that's the kind of word we've been coming back to a lot, is saying, what is it to live in covenant relationship with God? So if we're following the story, the timeline, God makes a covenant with Abraham to be a father, to be a blessing to the world, and that God was going to grow a family through him. And then Jacob, uh, along the way, is his grandson, and Jacob wrestles with God, and God renames Jacob for his name to be Israel, one who struggles with God. And God gives an identity to his family within this covenant relationship. And now we have Moses. Jacob you know, had 12 sons. They followed uh, Joseph, who got pulled along to Egypt. They end up living in Egypt. Many, many years go by a huge, what was a family becomes a nation within a nation. And the Israelites are growing up for many years in Egypt and prospering quite well. And then one day, a new pharaoh says, that's enough, and makes them slaves and makes life incredibly hard and raises up Moses in their midst to deliver them that they would know that God is their God and that he is with them, he is for them, that he has not given up on this covenant with his people. And you probably know the story. Moses uh, says, let my people go. They make their way out of Egypt in dramatic fashion. And then they've got a whole bunch of years 
on their way to a promised place that God has for his people, the promised land, a place that they would call home, that would be their own, that God provides for them, that this family that's become a nation can have a place to dwell and be with God. But at this point in the story, and what was read for us in Scripture, they are on the move, and things aren't going so well. Moses is the representative on behalf of a whole family, a whole nation, before God and a people. He's the one that sort of stands in the gap between the two. And there's a bunch of instances where God is calling out Moses to come and meet with him, and then Moses would represent back to the people who God is and what he's asking of them. And and it was entrusted to Moses to help hold this thing together. And so in Exodus 19... God shows up on a mountaintop, top of Mount Sinai. The mountain shakes violently. God shows himself as a blazing fire. All they see is smoke. The Israelites tremble, and they hear a voice calling Moses to come up to the mountain. Moses scales up the mountain, and then God's people are just waiting Waiting, and there's 12 chapters worth explaining everything that God is telling Moses while he's up there, and God's people are just waiting. And it says in chapter 32, when the point where Moses finally comes back down, the the Hebrew term is like implying that it was an embarrassing long amount of time, like it was just so long that the Israelites got bored, and in their boredom, They thought, well, we've got a bunch of gold that's come with us from Egypt. Hey, Aaron, sidekick to Moses, why don't you take all our gold, cast it to an image, and then we'll just worship that, because who knows what's happened with this God and this Moses of ours. They seem to be gone. We're moving on. And so Aaron, he's complicit fully in this, uh, and they build a calf. Moses comes back down from the mountain. He's got the tablets with him representing the law that is the expression of the covenant God has for his people, a sacred people he has called his own. And Moses sees what is going on. He hears singing. He's like, no, 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 this isn't good. They're indulging in revelry. They're just making a complete mess of themselves, and they've totally forgotten who God was. So, you know, Moses crashes the very tablets that God had made for him, and he burns with anger, and he burns down the calf, and he grinds it to a powder, and he puts it in water and says, you all need to drink this and realize what you've done. And then a whole bunch of them are killed. Small part of the story. And he talks to, Moses talks to Aaron, and he's like, Aaron, what happened? Like, I just, I went up, and this is what I'm coming back to. And if you've read this story, Aaron's response is, it's comical at best. He literally says, well, I don't know. I, people had metal. We, we put it into a burning thing, and I don't know. Out came a golden calf. I don't know. Like, It's like when you're a kid and your mom walks in and there's a broken window and there's a baseball and you're like, well, I don't know. I just like something made my hand throw that ball and something moved that window in that place. I don't know. It wasn't my fault. 
Like it's, it's a very childish response that Aaron gives. The thing, that, the very first command that Moses has for his people, that God has given to Moses is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an image. These are the very first writings on these tablets, and it is the exact, exact, exact thing that God's people do against God's will. And so Moses and God have this conversation because God has said, okay, I get it. I have tied myself to these people. These are my people, but my presence can't go with them because they are so stiff-necked that I'm worried that I'm going to crush them if I have to hang out with them too long. So he said, you go ahead of me. I'm not disbanding you. I'm not disowning you, even though God does threaten that. And Moses says, no, 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 hang on, God. And God says, go on, go on, go on. I'll show you the way, go on, but I'm not going to go with you there. I can't tolerate this. This is the moment where Moses comes back and says, God, that's not going to work. In a very bold in perhaps audacious way. He's saying, God, you've told me, lead these people. You've told me this, but you haven't let me know who you're going to send with me. You said, I know you by name. I felt favorite. God, I thought things were good. And if I found favor with you, remember that this nation is your people. Like, you can't just let them go. And God says, my, okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And I don't know Perhaps it, it maybe sounds a bit fickle, uh, how God is acting in this. Maybe God is enticing Moses into something more. And Moses says, okay, God, no, I know you just said your presence go with us, but God, I need you to understand. If your presence doesn't go with us, I can't go on from here. There is no other option. We can't live as your people unless you are with us. There just is no other way. So the Lord says, okay, I know, I understand. I will do the very thing you have asked. Moses saw no other possible way. He could not imagine life without God. God had been with them and for them in such incredible ways that had marked them as a people that there just for Moses was no other option to keep going on their own as though they could figure it out themselves. And I, as I sat with this passage this week and I asked these questions of myself, it really, it was a sense of how dependent am I on God in my life? Do I give myself the option to be able to go on without God, but maybe he's there as much as I need him or as much as I ask, but I'm saying the terms, I'm dictating the conditions. Moses is just laying it all out and saying, God, it's got to be you or nothing. He's, it's all or nothing for Moses. And so I... I I wonder the same for us. We, 
Around Christmas last year, we reflected on the question together and said, if God answered all of your prayers, how would your world look different? Which is just a revealing question of what are we praying for? Are we praying, would our world look any different if God answered our prayers? Do we have prayers that we hold up before God that we need him to answer, that we hope he would answer, that would actually make a difference in our lives and in the life of the world that we're a part of? And maybe we could ask the same question in a different way to say, if God was gone tomorrow, God just removed himself from the picture, was no longer available or present in our lives, would we notice? Or do we have enough scaffolding built up in our life that we can keep ourselves upright long enough that we don't actually really need God? He's just there if we want him to be or not. Moses didn't see this as an option. When Jesus was with his disciples, Jesus had the 12 disciples. There were many other followers of Jesus as well. There were more disciples than just the 12, but we know specifically of the 12. And Jesus was offering a teaching to a whole crowd of people, and it was a very hard teaching. And the Jews, and this wasn't just hard for the Jews or the Pharisees, the religious people who would be finicky about certain details of what Jesus said. This was hard for the people that have already chosen and accepted and believe what Jesus said. And it said that at that point, there were many who left Jesus because his words were too hard for them. And they turned to his 12 and said, are you going to leave me as well? And it's Peter's response that, I, that I'm holding to a lot these days. Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Like, what other option is there? Like, what else would we be holding out for? Like, what, what is the better alternative? Jesus, we're all in. And that's the echo we hear in Moses. Moses, in pleading with God, was not saying, Moses, just give us the road map. Just show us where we should go around this rock and around that bend. And, okay, if you just tell us where, okay, we will figure it out ourselves. We've got what we need. Just tell us where to go. No, his pleading was, God, we need you. We need you, your presence, your very being to be with us. We can't go without that. And so God promises his presence. His presence came in the form of his glory, and his glory was revealed as goodness, that the essence of God's goodness was revealed to Moses, saying that he would be with them, that God is with us wherever we go. I heard the Psalms of one, the words of Psalm 139 uh, in thinking about what it meant for God's presence to be with us. Says, Psalm 139 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. 
You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God's covenantal promise to us is that he's with us, he's for us, and he's just simply not going to let us go. And so whatever the things that we are holding out for as though there's a better alternative or a happier way, God constantly pursues us and wants us to know that he loves us and that for us now to see the glory of God, to be able to say of God, show me your glory, it is in the image of Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God and that it is in receiving the love of Christ that we know and experience the goodness of God. For in him are the words of life. What else would we hold out for? Where else would we go? Let me finish with this. Our leadership team in the fall took time to be able to pray and plan for this year ahead. And we did, uh, we did a little exercise uh, in typical St. Clair style. <laughs> we were asked the question of, Tell the story of St. Clair. St. Clair is about five years old. What, what has the story been? What, what are all the things that have happened along the way? In this really messy part of the timeline, that's, that's the first five years. I, somehow the chalice of Germania Club made it onto our memory bank. <laughs> there are a lot of fu- funny details uh, if, if you have a closer look at this. There is much to celebrate. There was a lot, and there was actually a lot that was like, whoa, do you remember that? That was ridiculous. That was crazy. Oh, that was a total failure. This, this mess represents well both the highs and the lows of this journey that we've been on. And then we started to ask the question of, okay, well, what, what would the next five years look like? And on the far end, there were lots of good ideas and lots of hopeful, prayerful things of, oh, what if God did this? Or what if we did that? And the person that was sort of observing this for us said, oh, those things sound and look really good, but you're probably going to do that. Those are probably within your reach. We're like, oh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, that seems right. He said, when this thing started five years ago, 
Was any of this in your picture, in your horizon, in your expectation? Did you think all this was going to happen? We're like, no. (laughs) No, I don't think any of us could have seen it coming. He just really gently said, well, what if five years out from now, the work that God does is way beyond what you could ask or imagine? We, we kind of had to step back and say, oh, God, whatever we're doing, it has got to be your presence with us. That is who we are as a community, to learn to be in the presence of God together. An organization, Alpha, that you're probably familiar with, uh, their, their little motto is, is quite good. They say, Alpha is perfectly designed to fail unless God shows up. Where there's this utter dependency to say, God, it's got to be you. It's got to be you. Otherwise, what's, why bother? And I think that's true for our life at St. Clair, saying, why, why would we do this if it wasn't for the presence of God with us and for us and living into this covenant relationship To live out the way of Jesus in Hamilton 2019, we don't need people who just talk about God. We need people who know God, who have encountered the presence of God and bring that as the fragrance of Christ into this world. We would normally send with sort of a a blessing or a benediction. Two ways I'm going to ask us to be able to to pray. One is, would you pray for the leadership of our community and uh, for people from Hamilton that are on their way this week to Belfast, Northern Ireland? That is the international gathering for 24-7 prayer. It's a global community of people who are praying together in prayer rooms and in churches who really are seeking the presence of God all across the world. And there are uh, a number of people from our leadership team uh, are joining in on that. I'm flying out tonight. Matt flew out yesterday. All in all, there are 35 people from Hamilton representing a whole bunch of churches that are going to Belfast of all places. Matt representing St. Clair, Sue Carr representing the Meeting Place, Andy Groon representing GoHop, and Dave Witt representing True City are doing a workshop there to be able to tell stories of what God is doing in here in Hamilton And as Abby said earlier, we're part of something here that that is perhaps unique. And we're saying, God, would you lead us? It's it's got to be you. So would you, as you remember, would you pray for those who are representing Hamilton in the global community of all things this week? And I would like to be able to pray, and I'd ask you to pray with me. If you didn't already know, tomorrow is a federal election. And it is uh, all too easy in our day and in our age to grow very skeptical, very disheartened, maybe very delusioned with the political discourse that we see in front of us. We just want to pray that God would do something in our midst and in our country. You're not going to see St. Clair wave a flag to say, this is how you should vote. You're just going to see us wave a flag to say, you should vote. Would you pray with me that God would, would do something uh, in our midst tomorrow and in the days to come? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this place 
that we call home, perhaps the place that we've been born into or the place that we've adopted as home. We thank you for Canada. God, we pray that this country would be a blessing into the world. God, we long for people who would represent us well. Lord, some, I don't know how this works. I just ask that in some way, somehow, you would appoint the right people for this time. God, we, we so desperately need you with us. We ask that that would happen through the rulers and authorities that are entrusted over us. And God, we ask that for St. Clair and for the Church of Hamilton and for the Church of Canada, that we would know what it is to be a light upon a hill. Your promise that your glory is revealed through your bride, through the church. God, may we not defer to a system to care well for people, but may we be a people who live into the presence of God, who carry the fragrance of Christ into a world that is desperately hurt and broken. May we be ones who can speak words of love and of truth, who know how to bring people together around a table. God, would you give us a government that does not crush the oppressed? We ask that you would do something in our midst. God, we can't go on without you. We ask your kingdom come. Amen.